you also, but you had, you know, your family history of, of physicians and all that type of stuff. That's kind of where they wanted you to go, right? That was kind of like your predestined, you know, you're going to follow in, in, in line, right? With the, the family business, for lack of a better word. You went into athletics, but then you didn't go to medical school or any of that type of stuff. And so that I'm sure was some conversations with, with your family. You had to deal with how do I go into something where, you know, I'm not being drawn into these, this industry here. I'm being drawn into a different industry and, and, you know, maybe it disappointed people, you know, I don't know, but I think there's a lot of athletes that deal with that, right? The expectation is that they are going to go down this road even though internally they don't want to go, they want to go at their own path. Right. So how did you deal with that? And, and what advice would you give people um, around that? Man, um, first we give advice to the parents, but what I am thankful for, great question. Um, is just phenomenal parents were very supportive. I never had to really deal with like the medical school or bus type conversation. Even though it's kind of underlying for sure, like my dad, even the NFL, like hey, I'm still going to med school. Um, however, though, what was hard to explain and put in words until I got older, I now know what makes us, especially if they make it to the league, what makes it so almost addictive, is because there's not many things in life that require that much out of you, and I think that's the thrill of life is to be pushed like that. And so for me, medicine was easy. Um, and I just didn't see me being pushed, and no offense to the profession, my, my peoples know this. Um, I just didn't see me being pushed to that level of degree that I, I was hoping for by going M1 and M4, residency, you know, additional training after that, which is very intense. Like, if we work with a lot of docs and, and dentists, and we had these conversations, just at that point, I just didn't see that sitting well with me. And then if you add on to that, by the time I decided to walk away from the game, I was about 27. I also didn't want to be locked up in a hospital and training for the next 12 years before I could start my life. Yeah. And so the next part of that was just sharing with my dad, my mom, like, hey, I just think there's something different for me. Um, I don't know quite what it is, but it's something. And I don't think it's me in a white coat. And so supportive of that you know my dad his response was you know what son I always said you should be like a president of the united states or something so i'm with you like we don't need to push you like but just pray on it and it'll come and so that's where you know the wealth side came it actually found me um because while i was working in finance back since 2013 i was more on the banking side which is so different than where i am now um you know, everybody thinks finance is finance, but a lot of our clients, like what you mentioned, many are actually like portfolio managers, investment bankers themselves, because it's just different needs of like financial planning and investing is completely different fields. And so it was unique being in the bank. I didn't find it that it really gave me life. And then around 2016, I got exposed to a trusted estate planner who passed away early this year, mentor of mine. Um, Sheldon Bruno, um, and you know, I just really remember looking at Sheldon like, man, he loves his kids. He's at every game. He doesn't miss a thing. He coaches all their sports, and he still makes more than everybody else. Like, 
what the hell is he doing? <laughs> and I remember saying to myself, like, you know, and I'm like, I you know, but the thing was, Jerry and Ryan was like, I'm not, I didn't go to business school. I have a molecular cell bio degree. Um, but I wasn't aware of how the world worked outside of just football and medicine. And what ended up happening was, you know, after that conversation with my dad, then my brother kind of had the same conversation with me the next day. Like, why do you want to be a doctor? Because um, he had, he was a career changer from dentistry to now he's a tech guru up in D.C. So he's like really just encouraged me like, hey, like there's things you can do. He didn't even know me and my dad had talked the day before. And then he asked me this random question like, hey, have you ever considered becoming a wealth management advisor? I was like, what made you ask that? He said, well, I mean, I, when our family comes up to the bank or not come up to the bank, it seems like everybody flocks to you. Um, you're one of the smartest people I know. I trust you to handle everything I own. Like, I think you're walking away from your calling. And I was like, huh. I said, it's funny you say that because you know, before I met this guy named Sheldon, and I said to myself, I love to do what he does. I just don't know how to walk through the door. I said, so I'm going to get promised in the day. I said, God opens the door for me to walk through. Start in a well-managed space. I walk through and never turn around. Well, be careful what you say when you meet it. Because <laughs> in that moment, a phone starts buzzing. And as the broker-dealer of, of Northwestern Mutual, you know, granted me the opportunity to be able to launch my personal firm, um, you know, in a hybrid RA setup. So the rest is history from there. And so I think with the way it happened, there was really no answer how clear it was. Because then when I called my father, and I said, man, this company, uh, Northwestern Mutual called me. He said, who called you? I said, Northwestern Mutual. He said, son, listen, that's one firm if you partner with. I understand you're never going to med school. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> never said that before. I'm like, again, NFL, you didn't feel that way. So I'm like, you, you didn't care about this NFL institution like that. But then that's how you feel about this institution here. Tell me more. <laughs> and he started telling me we had been with him since the 80s. Um, breaking different things down, told me about the guy who's eye advisor, um, you know, who's also our senator in the area, too. I never knew that. His name is plastered on FAMU's, you know, gym and things like that. So I was like, yo, so this guy's done everything I want to do. Give back to FAMU. Help build out the stadium and the gym. So he leveraged this to uplift and provide scholarships and uplift others. For us. And then from there, you know, my dad came, like, one of my biggest supporters. So Again, I just say to that to the parents listening, be supportive of what your kids want to do. There's more ways to prestige, nobility than just being, you know, a dentist, physician, attorney, a pharmacist, and accountant. You know, there's various forms, right? The richest people in America all exist in small business. And that can take on so many forms. And once we start limiting someone's creative ability, we prevent them from probably becoming the best version of themselves because we want to impose on them what we think they should be. So that message really for me is to the parents and then to the players, man, leverage these connections because you never know who you may end up shaking hands with, what they could inspire you to become based off who their family and connections have, and then how they may turn around and be one of your biggest clients in the future. Um, so, so really be careful as you walk those halls, how you treat people that you just never know who you're talking to. Absolutely. And, you know, the two other things that I picked up from that is you had to have the courage to have that conversation with your, with your father. And then it was the patience to let that all develop the way it was supposed to develop. Right. You weren't, you, you know, it wasn't, all right, I'm done with, with football. I'm not going to go into medicine. Now, what does the rest of my life look like? It was knowing that you were searching for, for that, but you weren't rushing 
into something, uh, you had that patience to kind of let it develop. And that's so crucial. Just a, just a quick patience was everything. You hit two points that you drew right out of there. Patience is huge because once I started kind of just submitting, I'd say like, all right, you know, God have me with me just off my personal faith. Um, I got an offer to go back and play in Canada like the next day. Um, a young lady who I had really inspired to go to med school, she had passed her MCATs. And at the time, financially, I wasn't doing the best. You gave me your MCAT books for free to prep for it. And then in that moment, I could have said to myself, you know what? This is it. Let's go. I'm going to play one more season, prepare for you know, medical school, and just take the route. But I'm sad. I'm just like, it feel right. And had I made a move so prematurely because I felt like I just needed to do something, I would have missed out on my life's calling. Because um, to me, I don't, again, this isn't working to me. This is like my philanthropy. You know, my ability to bless athletes, you know, my dad was a business owner. He wasn't a businessman. So guess what? He had a trade in the skills as a dentist. And he'll tell you, right, you know, no one prepared him just to run a business. So it gives me so much life to prepare other business owners on how to better run their business. Because I had to witness that. And so now see my dad and my sister in their new practice thriving, that's, that's life for me. That kind of even comes back to why I said it retards me because this is my philanthropy. This is my way to give back. And then now the FAMU, instead of complaining about the problems, man, we get into the point where we can really stroke a check to make change happen. Um, so patience was so crucial in that, Ryan. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So I have a theory, right? I have a theory that, um, you know, you mentioned coming from the, the you know, Tallahassee and then the South Georgia football hotbed area, right? And we hold these athletes up um, as, you know, you know, part of it is we're, we're conditioned, we're talked to as athletes, we start in athletics from such a young age, but all of our heroes are also athletes, right? That's what we would point to as, hey, if you want to be successful, you do this, right? So you mentioned some of the guys from Stanford and from um, that you, that you, um, you know, centered around, lived with, with FAMU. Um, and having success in entrepreneurship and, and life after sports. So my theory is we, we hold these athletes out as the only way to be successful, but we don't talk about some of the entrepreneurship ways that a lot of these guys that got their start in athletics, um, are being and becoming successful. So tell us a little bit about some of the guys, uh, some of the other stuff outside your, your wealth management firm that, your building and, and some of the business success that these guys are having. Yeah. Um, so just to come back to that, right. There's this element of, we just focus on the athlete versus what are they doing? You know, when we teach kids about Michael Jordan, we should tell them that he's a billionaire business owner, <laughs> you know, but we always just talk about want to be, you want to be like Mike, the greatest basketball player. Um, we talk about, you know, Kobe, we don't talk about his business deals and the things he leveraged his likeness to accomplish for his family. We talk about LeBron James. We don't talk about now a young billionaire, um, you know, who launched a school to change education because that was something he was passionate about. You're right. We focused on this one thing and it really leaves out that all these other things, athletes who have gone on to well have become. So sharing that is so powerful. And, you know, without saying names, I'll just speak to some people I'm proud of. Um, you know, got a buddy taking off in the VC space. Um, you know, his firm, once he launches it, 
man, I'm so excited to see what he's going to do. He has a lot of coding out in the Denver area. I'm super proud of what he, his wife, they built their family. Um, you know, he played college baseball. She played, played college softball. Um, I think about a great friend of mine still playing right now, year 12 with the Bengals. Um, however, though, he's one of if not the only NFL player, I think has like a various level of trademarks, clothing side. Um, I am going to shout out Mike out on that one. No excuses. Y'all check it out. Um, out of the Houston, Texas area. Um, got friends of mine, you know, started real estate, you know, partnerships and groups, limited partnerships and things like that to be able to buy, invest, redevelop. Um, for myself, outside of the wealth management firm, which this is that's my, my primary, you know, holding of my portfolio of offerings. Um, this will be the thing that sells with a nine-figure evaluation. I uh, would love to get it to 10. Um, that'll be the right partnerships. Uh, but outside of that, you know, consulting, coaching, um, those have been very powerful. So like Beast Mode Consulting has taken off. That's really just my personal speaking, coaching business. And then two other partners, um, APB Enterprises, uh, which is truly a development firm. And the other, uh, which going to be phenomenal is taking off as the catalyst group um it is really like a partnership of four interim practices um myself luxwell planning brian ford michael blivens out of nashville and i just see it being something that could really we talk about like bridging wealth gaps um i see that being a force that really does it um you know by being able to put out great content around the work that needs to be done versus people getting on YouTube and just flopping random cookie cutter advice that can hurt people. Really providing people with the right resources that they can go to to find the answers they need. Um, and I'm really, you know, fortunate to be a part of that movement there. Um, so those are just some of the things on my end, my friends only, you know, friends who, you know, manage endowments. Um, you know, they're really making a difference with where the school's money gets to go as they analyze and make choices there. Um, you know, I would say people from Stanford who are now in the private equity VC space, you know, distributing dollars to really impact, you know, I would say, you know, black and diverse businesses also when it comes to like that, that wealth gap as well. Um, so there's so many different avenues and these are all people I met in college. We want to thank our sponsor, Success Beyond Game Day. For many athletes, the last safe place was the locker room. They could be themselves and not be judged. Success Beyond Game Day creates a locker room community for athlete development. Partnering with individual athletes, high schools, athletic departments, college and pro teams on building their brands, understanding name, image, and likeness, how to get deals, and personal finance all while leveraging a proprietary assessment that identifies core skills that athletes can leverage to create a competitive advantage, all while creating an environment where athletes can connect to push each other to greatness. Check it out at www.successbeyondgameday.com. And former athletes that that leveraged that opportunity, right, built the relationships, and are arguably more successful outside of athletics than they ever were, no matter how much success they, I mean, 12 years in the NFL, I mean, he's, he's ancient, right? I mean, that's like, that's an old man in the NFL, but, <laughs> but, but the success, they'll get a kick out of that. Uh, but the success <laughs> that he, that he has outside of that is, is going to be longer lasting, most likely more impactful than anything he, you know, he, he did 
on the field. So yeah, that's I think, phenomenal, man. I think we need to start looking at athletics as more of a conduit versus the like finish line. Yeah, uh, it's just yeah. an area and an element to allow myself to pour into other areas of my life versus it being the only area of my life. And so I would just say a concept I love there, my friend Brandon Hepburn, um, who lives in the Philly area, kind of coin is I didn't, you know, stop the game or I'm done with the game. I just graduated from the game. And I love this concept of graduation from the game because like the game was just meant to teach us something. It wasn't supposed to be my last destination. Like going to school, I don't go to school to stay there forever. I go to school to graduate, to take what I learned, and I'll apply it. And so we can start teaching athletes to graduate from the game, graduate successfully with honors. Now we can really shift that mindset around how you approach athletics. Absolutely. And then the the perfect bridge into that is NIL is that opportunity, right? So let's not look at that at NIL as this, you know, three to four years of hey, I'm going to cash in and, and fill my bag up as much as possible. It's how am I going to, yes, do that, but also connect with and build those relationships so that I can, when I graduate from the game, I can have more success sooner because of what I'm now allowed to do through name, image, and likeness. Here's my absolute response to that. To any, any, you know, anyone who may disagree or talk about NIL to a degree is like, well, what, what are we viewing these athletes as? Are they just intended to be money makers for the school? And so now, once we can answer that one honestly and view them as, hey, we want to launch them and just promote, you know, capitalism because at the end of the day, like that's what we say, we stand on the country, um, and it should be open to all. That said, really to me, in the lens I view the NIL and the athlete, athletes now are startup firms, and the NIL is seed money. And as a result, if we can view it that way, now it's not like you said, you know, me just trying to get, you know, rich on one lump sum. I mean, when I'm trying to take this, you know, down payment of capital and turn it into, you know, a legacy. Uh, and, and and that legacy isn't just something I want to pass on. It's something I'm going to enjoy my standard of living now and then the next generation beyond that. Yeah. And so we can really start teaching that more of a mindset. Um, I think we can really approach everything with this with a new lens because that's what it should be, and that's what it is when, when embraced the right way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's so good. And I saw, let me jump in. I saw something yesterday. It was Barkley being interviewed, and he was talking about when Nike was recruiting him and when Nike was recruiting Jordan, right? And so they had signed both of them and Jordan looked at Barkley's contract and he said it. I mean, you can, you can pull it up. It was $3 million. And Jordan tells him, he said, look, why do you need that much money? And and you and you see Barkley's kind of eyes get big. He was like, I mean, that's $3 million. I, I want the money. He was like, he said, no, 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 no. You tell them, give me a million and then I want $2 million in stock options. All right. Because it's building that long-term wealth, right? And seeing the bigger picture of, hey, I can take it right now. But if I do, if I do what Jordan is suggesting, and that's what he said, he said, I made 10 times more in in that investment than I would have if I had just taken that lump sum. Man, so this is compliant, what I'm about to say. Um, is purely generic. It was one thing that works me from like internet financial gurus is the screaming of passive income. Um, what ends up happening is 
we teach it in a way that wealth is almost perceived it's about the returns. The more money you got, the more passive income out, that's your victory. But no, it should be about what's your outcome. And then the step should be reverse engineered to go from there. If you think that way, it'll be like what Jordan did. Because he he's thinking, okay, three million, I can you know put this somewhere, maybe put it in a property and get some passive income, right? Jordan's like, uh, this company Nike's taking off. <laughs> I want the equity. Because now that equity has made him a billionaire. Yeah. So I was like, what's more important now? Me getting a cash flow that I can count that's consistent by me putting it in a property or this or that, or recognizing this opportunity in my face called Nike. And that becomes my passive income. I can time when I want to. Because the thing about forced passive income, it raises your taxes. Oh, yeah. So if I keep bringing more and more passive income, then I just said, hey, I'm going to take more of what I got. But if I leave it in my equity, capital gains, <laughs> I'm straight. So it's like, these are the lessons we got to teach because if people don't understand this, they're going to do what they know. Hey, I can touch this. Hey, give me all of the money I can get from you right now. Yep. And I'm going to go invest in this stuff because I can touch it. I don't know about you. I'd take his billion in Nike and everything else than any piece of property in town has. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's what it boils down to is that mindset. And we can shift the mindset of, Give me what I can see and know versus, hey, give me what's going to help me achieve my outcome. Yeah, man, we could really empower a lot of these athletes and make some much better decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, you wouldn't see that, you know, the stats are uh, where it's what, 70% or whatever are, are broke a couple of years after athletics. That That would, you know, that would shrink to maybe 10, 20%, right? Um, if, if they just stayed open-minded to, uh, and, and listen to people out there trying to share these other ways of thinking about the same situation, not invest in this or invest in that. It's just, let's think about this situation differently and take a different perspective. And you're smart enough then to, um, to figure out what's best for you. Yeah. That's that's great. I, I, I'll add to that, Ryan. Um, this is where I like to put the ownership on, you know, myself, the industry, and just people who are in someone's ear. Uh, I think if we become more of a guide versus a know-it-all, we can really help people. What ends up happening is, truthfully, some of these athletes, we want to talk to them, like you said, in, in various languages that they can just really understand. If we can translate that, and we talked about this, Ron, before, you know, of, hey, listen, I really just talk like investments to 401 my athlete clients. We're talking skilled players, hybrid players, big guys. I'm like, hey, you're the quarterback of this. Your income, your earnings, that's you getting the ball out. If you get knocked out of the game, what's going to get the ball out? We got a problem. And if you don't sign a proper backup quarterback, we got an issue. Well, that's disability insurance. Right, it keeps the money coming in, so you keep getting the ball out. Um, you know, from there, your real estate, 401ks, various investments that's going to be our little guys, they're going to make it happen. Maybe we need some things to kind of slowly move the ball, right? That's going to be more conservative style investments, you know. And then from there, we talk, you know, levels of defensive planning, which was actually falsely taught in financial planning is that defensive planning is like risk management. That's not, no. Risk management side is actually insurance side because I'm, I'm signing on a second string team. 
If something happens to me, I check out, I need something to check in. Yep. If my earning power checks out, what economic value is checking in? And athlete goes, oh, got it. Now, what's defensive planning is I need to get the ball back when I turn the ball over. That's where, you know, your safer, you know, style structures like, you know, various cash values and things come into place. So, like, once you can help someone see the field, these athletes go, oh, got it. So, I'm a quarterback. I need some run a block for me, take care of me. I need the ability to get my ball out in the other hands to make put points up on the board. Surely I can put points up on my board by myself. But boy, if I get hurt, I got a problem. So I really be best to me to get the ball out. And then now I just gotta get the ball back when things go wrong with the market. I'm like, there you Absolutely. go. And if they got it. Yep. Absolutely. So just becoming that translator can be so powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, man. I want to bring it up to, to football. Uh bring it back to football real quick. Top two memories or stories or when you get with your boys, the things that you joke about that's clean that we can say on a podcast uh, <laughs> that uh, that that always comes up. I love the clean part. Um, <laughs> that, that really eliminates. That narrows down some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Um, so to be honest, boys, um, this is a family and the boys. Um, one of my favorite college football memories is probably Family versus North Carolina A&T. Really my junior year, because when the 07 class was still being here, we had a top defense um, that year. Um, we rarely did more than like nine points a month. Um, and we're playing A&T right to the finish. But man, I think I finished that game with like eight tackles, two sacks or so, forced fumble. And what was unique is my dad was our team, Dennis. So he'd be on the sideline, too. And um, we needed to stop them to secure the game. We hadn't really been moving the ball on offense. And I told the defense, like, I got this. I was like, hey, you have beast mode. That was my nickname. Literally beast mode. Man, I hit the center like a jab step, and I, like, swam over him with a club. Uh, the quarterback thought he was rough as like defense. We got up going crazy. Um, that forced the fourth on um, turnover on downs. I ran over to my dad, and now this I can't say what I said to my dad. That's not clean, but I still <laughs> up to say, like, hey, basically, when you had me, did you know that your son was going to be this much of a beast? And the whole defense started laughing. Um, and I, I said it in a different way that I can't say on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> the three of us could talk about it once you stop recording. Yeah. Uh, but man, to me, that was like one of my favorite, favorite memories um, was that. And I think another one we talk about is when we won a championship, the MEAC championship in 2010. And it was such an amazing memory. I actually got hurt going into that game. So I really was hurt. I really probably shouldn't have played, but man, it was the last game for championship. They were undefeated. Everyone was talking about them. And so, yeah, we had to knock them off. And so we went to halftime down about 19 points. Um, let's say they never scored another point. Um, we forced turnovers and put points up in the defense. Offense scored two. We ended up winning like 30. Uh, 24 or something like that. And I think one of the best memories of that halftime, you know, going around shaking everybody's hand, my friend Ramos goes, hey, I love all y'all boys. 
I'm like, hey, I love you too. Just went out on the whole lot. Start damage. I love you too. Let's go get it. And we went out there and smacked them. Um, and so we literally knocked out their first and second string quarterbacks, like in back-to-back drives. The front seven did. Um, and yeah, once you knock out the first two and you go to the third quarterback, it's easy to come back and win from that. Uh, <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> Those two definitely stand out. Man, that's great. Patrick, hey, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Tell people if they want to get a hold of you, how, how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, um, you know, I would say, hey, you catch me on Instagram. This is funny because uh, it's Patrick underscore Beast. I have not changed that. I'm still the same guy, just more mature, wearing a suit and polo shirts a lot, uh, and meet with athletes and tank tops. Uh, so, yeah, Patrick underscore Beast uh, off on Instagram. Then on LinkedIn, you can easily find me at Patrick Scott. Would love to connect. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ryan Channing. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, man. Thank you very yeah, much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on NIL Undressed. As always, every like, subscribe, and share is greatly appreciated.